When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Age of Radio. You are listening to Texas History Lessons, a slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone everywhere. Welcome to Texas History Lessons. I'm Michael, and we're in the fourth and final part of the Crossroads Project, and in this one we're going to focus on the Chisholm Trail and the creation of St. Joe. The head of Elm Community's location, on an established route of westward travel along with the rich natural offerings of the Springs, Prairie, and Cross Timbers, might have well been enough to attract its early settlers. But there was another set of circumstances coalescing in the aftermath of the Civil War that made it even more inviting. Large herds of cattle traveling northward to Kansas along what would be known as the Chisholm Trail had begun moving through the area to the main crossing in Montague County at Red River Station. Their undertaking became an economic magnet for merchants, and the merchants drawn to them would try to lure their business. The cattle trailing industry that would have an impact on the development of Head of Elm Settlement into the town of St. Joe had its roots in the state of affairs faced by the country in the aftermath of the Civil War. Texas pretty much found itself bankrupt and demoralized when the war came to an end in 1865. Confederate money was worthless, good money was very scarce, and federal troops occupied the state. During the Civil War, hundreds of thousands of calves had matured, roaming without brands, and became wild and dangerous. They were scattered throughout the range, there for anyone to claim. Cattle, largely left untended, had thrived. Anyone could gather herds for themselves from the public lands where thousands of cattle roamed unbranded, and many returning Texans did just that. One problem existed. They were almost worthless in reality. A person could gather thousands of cattle, but it would be for naught unless there was a market at which to sell them. As the Texas author J. Frank Dobie wrote, cattle were hardly worth stealing and... A cow's hide was actually worth more than a live cow. To the north and west were miners, soldiers, and reservation Native Americans needing beef for consumption. 
and northern range ranchers desiring breeding and feeder stock. To the northeast were the railheads leading to the east and the midwest, where cattle were in great demand. At the end of the war, a person could buy a cow for 3 to $5 while the price in New York ranged from 30 to $50 a head. A good steer might even sell for 80 to $90 in eastern markets. With the demand for meat being in the north and east and the supply being in Texas, an economic vacuum existed that innovative businessmen could fill. With such a possibility for enormous profits, it took little time for an attempt at a connecting supply with the demand. At the close of the American Civil War, there was an economic void between the increasing demand for beef in the East and a massive supply in Texas. Texas railroad development lagged behind the rest of the country. No out-of-state line connected with Texas. The entrepreneur stepped into this void. Cattlemen, speculators, and transportation agents adapted to the needs of the day and began the era of the long drive. Cattle drives had occurred before and since, but never on such a scale and over such a distance so consistently year after year. Enterprising Texans attempted to get their cattle to market in the spring of 1866. They drove about 250,000 head along the Shawnee Trail towards Sedalia, Missouri, the terminus of the Missouri Pacific Railroad. Now, this trail had its disadvantages. The route inflicted heavy losses and met great opposition in the settled areas of eastern Kansas and western Missouri from farmers afraid of Texas cattle fever and angry at the possibility of having their crops trampled. The Shawnee Trail ran from the southern and southwestern Texas ranges, passing Austin, Waco, and Dallas, and crossed the Red River in Grayson County at Rock Bluff Crossing, near the small settlement of Preston that we learned about in earlier episodes. Due to the difficulties faced in 1866, cattlemen were eager to find an alternative route. A young cattle dealer from Illinois, Joseph G. McCoy was his name, stepped in to solve the problem faced by Texans needing to sell their cattle in the northern markets demanding them by establishing a market in Abilene, Kansas. He convinced the Kansas Pacific branch of the Union Pacific Railroad to build a hundred car switching yard there and negotiated for favorable shipping rates and commissions on the shipments. McCoy publicized the town extensively and sent riders south to divert herds towards Abilene. He also advertised to northern buyers, informing them that cattle could be purchased at Abilene. The first shipment left Abilene on September the 5th, 1867. The number of cattle driven that year was low, only about 35,000 head because only a few cattlemen knew about the opportunity in Abilene. In the next few years, the number of cattle trailed to Kansas dramatically increased, and the route they followed would eventually become known as the Chisholm Trail. And that trail would lead by Head of Elm in Monte County to the principal river crossing at the Red River at Red River Station, north of present-day Nocona, Texas. This trail took its name from Jesse Chisholm, the son of a Cherokee mother and a father of Scotch descent. In the 1840s, he served as an interpreter for Texas President Sam Houston's negotiations with Native Americans, 
then later entered into a career as a trader, setting up a trading post at Council Grove on the North Canadian River. He later established a post at the mouth of the Little Arkansas. About 1864, Chisholm drove his wagons of trading goods south to his old trading post at Council Grove on the North Canadian. In the spring of 1865, Chisholm rode north again with cattle, robes, and furs. The ruts of Chisholm's wagon wheels became a regularly followed route, and the cattle trailing north from Montague County would strike for his path. Little did he know by the time he died in 1868 that his name would eventually be used in reference to a trail much longer than the one he had blazed. With a desperate need for an economic boost, Texas cattlemen began to drive thousands of cattle to Kansas, and by 1867 marked Montague County as their terminus for leaving Texas and crossing into Indian Territory, passing by and watering at Head of Elm before crossing at Red River Station. Historian Rupert N. Richardson described this era as, quote, a boon to people who had little other income, end quote. The Chisholm Trail contributed to Montague County's residents concentrating their efforts on cattle raising and producing forage for livestock and food rather than cultivating cash crops for the next 25 years. Thousands upon thousands of cattle would pass through the area. A number of men that followed the Chisholm Trail later shared their memories of their journeys and specified Head of Elm, or St. Joe as it soon became named, as a point on their route. C.H. Rust of San Angelo, Texas, confirmed St. Joe's relationship to the Chisholm Trail and his remembrance included in the massive trail drivers of Texas. He wrote, This old trail that I attempt to tell you about begins at San Antonio, and from there leading on to New Braunfels, thence to San Marcos, crossing the San Marcos River four miles below town, thence to Austin, crossing the Colorado River three miles below Austin. Leaving Austin, the trail winds its way on to the right of Salado, to the right of Belton, to Old Fort Graham, crossing the Brazos to the left of Cleburne, then to Fort Worth, winding its way to the right of Fort Worth, just about where Hell's Half Acre used to be, crossing the Trinity River just below town. Fort Worth was just a little burg on the bluff where the panther laid down and died. From Fort Worth, the next town was Elizabeth, and from there to Bolivar. Here the trail forked, but we kept the main trail up Elm to St. Joe on to Red River Station, here crossing Red River. After crossing Red River, I strike the line of Nation Beaver Creek, thence to Monument Rocks, leading on to Stage Station, to head of Rush Creek, then to Little Washita, on to Washita Crossing at Line Creek, from there to Canadian River, to the North Fork, on to Prairie Spring, from there to Kingfisher Creek, thence to Red Fork, on to Turkey Creek, to Hackberry Creek, thence to Shawnee Creek, to Salt Fork, to Pond Creek, from there to Polecat Creek, to Bluff Creek, thence to Caldwell, line of Kansas River, on to Slate Creek, to Nenasquaw River, thence to Cowskin Creek, to Arkansas River, to head of Sand Creek, on to Brookville, thence from Solomon to Abilene, and from there on to Ellsworth. I have no definite information as to what year this old trail was laid out, and if this is not the old Chisholm 
Caltrail, then there is no Chisholm Trail. In a memoir penned a year before he died, Charlie Hester recorded the route he followed to go up the Chisholm Trail that closely resembles Rust's. Both trails, the Chisholm and the Texas, had their inception in the tremendous reservoir of beef in southwest Texas. Naturally, all the cattle did not travel these trails. Texas was literally covered with them as the drivers took the most accessible and direct routes. The West Texas Trail was not used to any extent until conditions closed the Chisholm. The Chisholm, San Antonio, Texas, New Braunfels, San Marcos River, Austin River, two or three miles below Austin, Round Rock, Georgetown, Salado, Elizabethtown, Bolivar, St. Joe, Red River Station, Mouth Fleetwood, Head of Mud Creek, Monument Hill, Wild Horse Creek, Rush Springs, Washita at Lime Creek, Rock Crossing, Canadian near Fort Reno, Prairie Springs, Kingfisher Creek, Hackberry Creek, Shawnee Creek, Salt Fork, Pond Creek, Polecat Creek, Bluff Creek, Caldwell, Kansas, Cowskin Creek, Arkansas River, Wichita, Chisholm Creek, Sandy, Smoky Hill, Abilene, Republican River, Nebraska Line, Rose Creek near Thompson, Ferry, Berry, Peru, Nebraska City Flats. As an aside, it's interesting, especially if you've watched Lonesome Dove and seen the perils of river crossings, how both of these old cowboys could remember the name of every single little creek, not only a river that they had to cross. Now, Wayne Gard, in his thorough and authoritative book on the subject, mirrors the route in his treatment of the Chisholm Trail. He's got an excellent map that depicts it. Leo Tucker of Yoakum, Texas, drove cattle from 1869 to 1875 and shared of a near-death experience near St. Joe while on a cattle drive. The year 1875 marks the end of my going over the famous old trail with its excitements of killing buffalo and elk, meeting Indians, and swimming streams. I swam the Red River often a half a mile wide, as many as 13 times in one day, always going ahead of the herds, and right here will say that after all my good swimming, I was finally nearly drowned in a small creek named Elm near St. Joe. I was asleep when the noise of the rush of water brought about by a cloudburst caused the cattle to stampede. Jumping on my horse, made a dash across the stream to get to the cattle when the water swept my horse from underneath me. Jim Skipworth saw my peril and threw a rope behind me and dragged me to shore. After hard work, they succeeded in resuscitating me, but I was unconscious all day. My faithful pony was drowned. Now, not all memories of trail driving through Monte County were as sad as Tucker's. Memory of losing his horse and almost dying. A.W. Capt of San Antonio, Texas, recalled a humorous event near St. Joe while traveling the Chisholm Trail in 1871. On the trail that year, water was scarce, herds plentiful, and dust more so. The first few days, nothing occurred to break the monotony or hush the humdrum of the Cowboys' ragtime music until we were crossing the Colorado below Austin. Had a stampede there early in the morning, and after a hard day's work, we put the last bovine over just before sunset. I am recording another stampede that is written indelibly on memory's page, a stampede of men. It occurred one dreadful hot July day when the sun was at full tide and the wind refused to blow. 
It is said men are like monkeys, imitative creatures. One of the boys dropped back to the wagon and disrobed down to undershirt and drawers. He looked so cool that all tried the experiment, some leaving everything in the wagon but undershirt and government drawers. It was on the prairie near the head of Elm and happened to be on a Sunday, as we were reminded when we were met by a whole camp meeting crowd of young ladies and their beau on horseback. The boss and the wagon had gone on ahead, and the boys wished they could also vanish. The boss, who would rather have had fun and go to hell in a go-kart than miss it and go to heaven in a chariot, had instructed the young folks to pass by the herd on both sides, and they did so, hence the stampede. Some of the boys went off at a tangent east to see how the range looked. Others went west in search of water to fill their canteens. A few thoughtful dropped to the rear to push up the drags, while others held their ground trying to hide their embarrassment by trying to put the words, I would not live always, I ask not to stay, to music. Charles Nielsen Jones, who moved to Cook County, just east of Monte County in 1860, compiled a treasury of 19th century Texas history in his early days in Cook County. He wrote, The cow trail, as it is called, made its start from southern Texas and crossed the entire state and across the Indian Territory and into Kansas. Great herds of cattle were driven over this trail to market. In eastern Kansas, the trail is known as the Chisholm Trail. It passed through San Antonio, Austin, and on through Monte County, four miles west of St. Joe, and crossed Red River at Red River Station, 35 miles northwest of Gainesville. The great herds of many thousands would pass through every spring, and they would often drive cattle down in this prairie between St. Joe and Gainesville, and would herd them, sometimes would hold them here from two to six weeks. Now this large prairie area between Gainesville and St. Joe served as a perfect place to graze cattle, and the Elm Fork of the Trinity also provided a good supply of water for stock. Drovers also often bedded the cattle down for the night on Buck Branch near Head of Elm. From the 1870s on, the route followed by the cattle drives to Red River Station was utilized by the county as a road, and by the 1880s, after the long drives had moved westward to less populated areas, the Montague County Commissioner's Court established the Cow Trail from St. Joe to Red River Station as a first-class road. Irby Holt Bogus was a native of Miggs County, Tennessee, and he arrived in Texas in the late 1860s. According to a genealogical sketch of Bogus, the past decade had not served him well. He had served in the Confederate Army, became a military prisoner in 1864, suffered a bayonet wound in the side during an escape attempt, lost a finger, continued to serve as a scout eight months after his capture, and watched firsthand as the Confederate States of America lost the war. After the war, he gained experience overseeing a plantation in Mississippi and working as a merchant and auctioneer in Tennessee. Sometime in this period, his marriage failed and his wife was granted an uncontested divorce. There is also a rumor, and I've got to add, it's a rumor that he left Tennessee for Texas after shooting a man to death in Meigs County. Even casting the rumor aside, there is enough reason for Bogus to look for a new beginning, and he found it at the small Montague County settlement of Head of Elm. Irby Bogus arrived at the Head of Elm settlement in 1869 and built a double log cabin. 
He brought supplies with the intent of not simply servicing the demand of the local community. Boggess had an eye towards providing the cattle drive outfits moving by the small community with goods and intent on making a profit. He would not have turned away business from the travelers making their way along the already well-established east-west road established by Captain Marcy 20 years prior in 1849. Fort Worth at the time was one of the last places along the trail to procure supplies and other services, and it had already begun to see signs of economic impact as early as 1867. Boggess and others hoped to succeed by drawing them into their establishments. For several years, he brought in his supplies from the thriving economic center of Jefferson, Texas, way to the east. Travelers were also provided blankets and allowed to sleep on the floor of his supply house. Business did well, and his opening of a second store at Red River Station, The Last Chance was the name, to capitalize on the long drives passing through the county emphasizes the importance of the Chisholm Trail. Along with Boggess's arrival and setting up of his business, the Pedigo and Meter families, A.H. McLean, Jasper Fields, W.N. Bella, and all arrived at Head of Elm by 1870 or shortly thereafter. Along with Boggess and Howell, Dr. J.G. Crump and a Mr. Williams became some of Head of Elm's leading businessmen, and most had their hands in the cattle trade. J.A. Gordon, Boggess and Howell, D.L. Pointer, E.S. Singletary, J.W. Bella, J.H. Phillips, James Cheek, A.D. Crump, Mosley, J.D. Pedigo, and others, all registered brands in the 1870s. Joe Howell arrived about the same time and entered into business partnership with Boggess, called, appropriately enough, Boggess and Howell. They established themselves, according to one document, as reliable and responsible merchants 20 miles south of Red River Station on the Western Cattle Trail. Others shared Boggess's understanding of the Chisholm Trail's potential economic impact, and Head of Elm contained at least seven stores by 1871, most of which provided trail-riding cowboys opportunities to purchase supplies and whiskey. There were five groceries, one blacksmith shop, and a post office. Within a short time after his arrival at Head of Elm, however, Boggess set his sights on a new endeavor, town building. Together with the participation of his business partner, Joe Howe, Boggess set out to turn the cattle driver and traveler rest stop into a full-fledged town. For a purchase price of $1,208 in gold, Boggess and Howell purchased 320 acres of land at the headwaters of Elm Creek in the southeast half of the 640-acre Alexander Kitchen Survey from Georgians Robert Toombs, S.W. Mays, and William P. Crowford. You might remember me bringing this up earlier in another episode. They completed the purchase in mid-May 1872, and together, Boggess and Howe laid out the town site, marking the streets and public square, and proceeded to sell lots for residents and businesses. Boggess and Howe, in turn, set out to recoup their expenditure for the 320 acres. They laid out a town plot of 34 blocks surrounding a central town square. Each block contained 10 lots. The principal streets around the town were Boggess, Howell, Main, and Broad, which is modern-day Interstate Highway 82. Other street names were given, 
Miggs, after Boggs' hometown in Tennessee, Singletary, Decatur, Mill, Market, Crump, and Church. If, for speculative sake, they sold all of the lots for the price that they sold R.W. Scott his six lots on July 21, 1873, then they stood to earn a profit in the area of $10,000. Further examples of their transactions can be gleaned from the deed records. They sold a lot to W.R. Brindley in April 1873 for $50, eight lots to W.R. Foreman for $300 in October 1873, two and two-thirds lots for $800 to J.M. Brady, in April and August of 1874, and one lot on the public square for $100 to J.C. Lidsley in February 1875. Jasper Field bought property in the town site on May 7, 1873, February 12, 1874, and May 23, 1874, and J.G. Crump purchased property on April 16, 1874. Now, one of the oddities of the town, and it's still laid out exactly how they did it. The town square is exactly the town square they had. And the streets are all laid out just like they laid them out. Now, an oddity of the town is that its streets do not run east, west, north, south. For example, Bogus and Howe streets would normally have run east to west on either side of the square, with Main and Broad streets running north to the south on either side. Instead, the town plot twists about 45 degrees to the east. Local legend, and I stress this is local legend, attributes this to the surveyors being drunk on whiskey supplied by Bogus. This is highly unlikely. The survey is good and the offset is in line with the earlier kitchen survey. Other surveys in the county also have this peculiar set off another local legend is in regard to the town's name it claims that Bogus christened the town as St. Joe without an E a town in which almost every establishment would sell whiskey in honor of Hal who according to this version abstained from the use of alcohol another plausible explanation that some give for the name is that Hal did drink but did not want to be associated with the sale of alcohol or with Boggess's plan to build a saloon. In any case, the name of St. Joe came from Irby Boggess, either in honor of his partner's abstemious ways or in retaliation to his partner's public stand against the sale of a beverage he might have occasionally enjoyed taking from time to time. Still intent on attracting the trail driver business, Boggs and Howell established the town's first store on the northeast corner of the public square, built from wood sawed at Z.T. Perrier's sawmill near the town. Boggs and Howell provided lots for the people of the community to build churches. Citizens constructed St. Joe's first church in the spring of 1874. All denominations attended the church until the first Presbyterian church was erected in 1877 on the public square. The first Sunday school began in 1875 at an old abandoned saloon building where the Missouri, Kansas, and Texas Railway Depot later stood. The town cemetery lay to the north. Also to the town's north was St. Joe's First School, also established in 1872. 
the town's first newspaper initiated publication in 1876. Early head of Elm settlers filled barrels with water from the perennial springs and hauled them on sleds. The establishment of St. Joe brought the digging of a 75-foot well in the town square that utilized a bucket and pulley system to haul up the water until installation of a hand pump in 1904. The site of the well is still there in St. Joe. Head of Elm had a post office off and on from 1860 until permanent service began in 1871 with the establishment and success of the town of St. Joe. Bogus served as the postmaster for Head of Elm from March 29, 1872 to August 7, 1873, when the United States Postal Service recognized St. Joe as being the postal site for the area. He continued on as postmaster until May 9, 1876, when William D. Allen assumed the position. The mail arrived from Gainesville by a rider until 1875. Between 1875 and 1886, the mail was transported on an old Concord stage from Gainesville. Mail was regularly carried by rail following its arrival in 1886. By the time the post office recognized the name change from Head of Elm to St. Joe in 1873, the new town site was already starting to grow and develop. A number of houses were up. Bogus and Hal were up and running their general merchandise store, and two saloons were open for locals and trail drivers. One of the saloons was St. Joe's first stone building, the Stonewall Saloon, built by Bogus in 1873. It offered drinks, of course, and sleeping quarters on the second floor. It later housed the Citizens National Bank. Bogus and Hal also built a stone building for their mercantile business. Now, the Stonewall Saloon is still in existence as a museum now to where you can visit in St. Joe and learn about the local history. In addition to providing goods to the cattlemen passing through the country, Bogus and Hal took further advantage of the situation and became active participants. They would buy broken down cattle from the passing herds and local citizens recuperate them, and eventually build a herd for themselves and send it north to market along the cow trail. Now, Joe Heil died in 1977, and Irby Bogus ended his practice of buying and recuperating worn-down cattle by 1879. Part of the reason likely lies in the fact that the great drives along the Chisholm Trail had waned drastically, with trail drivers favoring the western trail through less populated areas. The county had grown tremendously in the decade, and the number of farms had followed suit, making the area a troublesome one for driving cattle. Montague County had a population of 849 in 1860. By 1870, there were 890 residents, according to the census. The following 10 years were a period of rapid population, with the county reporting 11,257 residents in 1880. The 1860 census reported only 109 farms in the county. Ten years later, the number of farms had exploded to over 1,300 in 1880. Farm production had grown from an estimated $63,547 in 1870 to $325,001 in 1879. Residents had spent $25,227 building and repairing fences St. Joe also grew steadily after 1873, reporting 500 residents by the time it incorporated in 1886. By then, it had two steam-powered cotton gins, 
a number of grist mills, and a weekly newspaper. A branch of the MK&T Railroad, the Gainesville, Henrietta, and Western Railroad, reached St. Joe in 1886. The city council resolved on November 10, 1886, quote, that G.H. and W. Railroad be granted right-of-way across the streets of St. Joe and through streets as at present surveyed, provided they occupy no more space than is actually necessary, end quote. This event sped the town's growth to a population of 1,000 by 1890. The reminiscence of Bayless John Fletcher illustrates the difficulties faced by trail drives through the growing country and passing by St. Joe. He traveled the Chisholm Trail as a cowhand in 1879 and had the following experience. Leaving Fort Worth, we traveled the trail north passing inside of Decatur to our left and St. Joe to our right, crossing parts of Wise, Ditton, Cook, and Montague counties. Since Montague was a border county, we were told that we could wear sidearms without fear of arrest. So every cowpuncher who had a six-shooter buckled on just to enjoy the privilege of carrying a weapon. Take that in mind now when we talk about legalities of open carrying. It wasn't allowed back then. Strange how we remember the past. As we passed a farmhouse near St. Joe, a fine short-horned bull broke out of a pasture and joined our herd. We cut him repeatedly, but he'd followed on about a mile to point where we bedded our cattle for the night. The next morning, the indignant owner came to us and demanded we take his bull back to the pasture, threatening to prosecute us if we did not. We advised him to take the animal back with him, but he haughtily refused to do so and threatened to have us arrested for carrying pistols in Monte County. We promised that we would carry the animal no farther, but did not agree to take him back. He rode away in a great rage, continuing his threats. After he had gone, we roped the bull, threw him down, hogged his feet together with strong cords, and left him laying on the ground. As we moved our herd down the valley of Farmer's Creek to Spanish Fort, where we were to cross the Red River and enter the Indian Territory. Spanish Fort, which we learned about in an earlier episode, was where the Tavoyas, Wichita villages were that the Spanish battle occurred at. That is a Spanish Fort, and it was also a crossing in Montague County. Not as many crossed the Spanish Fort, it's believed, but most went to Red River Station, but it is a spot where they did cross. And I think also at Illinois Bend, it's possible that is another site sometimes they crossed. Now, by this time, such an incident would have been a common problem as the county filled up with farmers. The cattle trail that had stimulated and partially financed the establishment of the town of St. Joe increasingly fell into disuse by the late 1870s as the cattle drovers, under pressure of expanding farm frontier, increasingly followed the new western trail. Now, cattle raising remained an important part of Montague County for decades to come. The town of St. Joe continued to develop and adapt to the changing times as the county continued to grow in population. By the time of Bogus' death in 1914, Montague County served as home to over 25,000 people. The California and the Chisholm Trails by then were memories, but the town they helped create endured. We're going to stop right there, and we'll be right back. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, folks, that's gonna be it for this Crossroads project. I hope you enjoyed it, just sharing a little bit about a local town's history and how it tied into the broader settlement of Texas. Enjoyed working on it and going back over it again. I want to thank Derek McClendon for providing the theme music to Texas History Lessons. He's a great artist. Be sure to check him out wherever you listen to music. Thanks to Patreon supporters, people that click on that link and buy me a cup of coffee. It is greatly appreciated. Let's end this episode with a song by Mondo Salas, subgrant band Rosemont, and this is one of the newer songs he's released, Living This Way, and then we're going to follow that up by Seth Jones's song, Better Off Alone. I appreciate both of them letting me play their music and share their music, so if you get a chance, if you like what you hear, go give them a listen. Follow them on whatever service you listen to music and uh, let them know that you love them. So that's going to do it. We'll be back with something new soon. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourself. Take care of one another. Be kind. Adios. Summer's hot as ever. It ain't the weather. Water's just as high
Someday you'll receive all that you give Hope it stings you like a scorpion Pray it bites you like a snake And the poison that you've gathered gets you good Goodness sake When sinfulness you've sharpened Finally cuts you to the bone You'll be sorry you're the reason I'm much better off alone Feel the joy inside a bright and rowdy room Now I hate everywhere I think I want to be When you finally grow a heart you'll see Hope it stings you like a scorpion Pray it bites you like a snake And the poison that you've gathered Gets you good, goodness sake When sinfulness you've sharpened Finally cuts you to the bone You'll be sorry you're the reason I'm much better off alone Much better when I'm sleeping in a dark and lonely bed Silence all around me and these thoughts inside my head All about the times you broke me, left me scattered on the floor Someday you will get what is in store Hope it stings you like a scorpion, pray it bites you like a snake And the poison that you gather gets you good, good to say Sinfulness you sharpen, finally cut you to the bone You'll be sorry you're the reason I'm much better off alone You'll be sorry you're the reason I'm much better off alone You'll be sorry you're the reason I'm much better off alone This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.